Well, if you would, turn with me in your Bibles to Judges, the second chapter. Beginning with the sixth verse, as we come to the completion of our series, Fueled by Faith, we have been traveling through the book of Joshua, seeing how God has has been the fuel for the faith of the people to go in and to take the land. But not only has he been their fuel, he's been their shepherd, he's been their guide, he's been their warrior, he's been their all in all, he's been their food, he's been their sustainer. God has been everything and is everything to Israel. And as we finished up with chapter 24, we, we left off with Joshua declaring that as for him and his house, they, he would serve the Lord that deep, committed declaration. However, in the second chapter of Judges, we see that something happened. Something happened. And the book of Judges in and of itself is a very interesting book. I suggest you read it. But as you read it, be reminded that the events of Judges are descriptive in manner, not prescriptive. That means you read them and you see what happened. You don't do what they was doing. But the book of Judges also reveals the human condition, just how frail we really are. So if you would, grab your copy of the text and stand with me as we read Judges, the second chapter, beginning with the sixth verse. This is the inerrant infallible, sufficient word of God. Hear the voice of Christ. When Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in Timnath-Heres, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gaash. And, and all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm as the Lord had warned and as the Lord had sworn to them. And they were in terrible distress. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. I'd like to place a tag on this final text from our series, Fueled by Faith. Rebels without a cause. Rebels without a cause. Let's look to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, thank you for being sufficient. 
in and of yourself. For Father, you truly do not need us, but you purpose in your heart that you would bring, a, bring and draw a people unto yourself, and that you would lavish them with your love. And you have done so through Jesus Christ for those who have repented of their sin and trusted in you for salvation. So, Father, this day we just come acknowledging that we're really unworthy. Father, we don't supposed to be here. So, Father, may we approach your throne of grace with much humility, begging that you will open up our eyes and open up our ears and prepare our hearts to receive a word from you this morning. May we never take for granted that we can understand you unless you make yourself plain. So, Father, please make yourself plain to us today. That we would hear and that we would be obedient and that dead souls would come to life. And that a generation would be reclaimed in the name of Jesus. So, Father, we beg that you will help us navigate through your word this morning. Help me to speak your word, for I am nothing and in desperate need of you. Now, please, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Father, please forgive us for any sins that we have committed, not only this week, but this morning the ways that we have rebelled against you, the ways we have lashed out in anger, the ways we have trembled with frustration, the ways we have sought other gods ourselves this week. Father, please forgive us for seeking other gods. Please forgive us for seeking other pleasures. Please forgive us for seeking other treasures apart from Christ. Have mercy on us this day. Have mercy on us by allowing us to be convicted of sin and able to repent, to turn towards you. Father, we ask that you will be in this place. Have your way. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen. How far would you go for a cause? You know, a cause is a phenomenon, a, a, a principle, an a aim, a movement. Sometimes a cause is wrapped up in an organization. Like the Red Cross would be an example of an organization with a cause. They have a mission. Organizations like Meals on Wheels have a specific cause. They are fighting for and working towards. They're, they have a mission that they're on as they journey. And for these causes, many people will give their financial support for a cause. Many people will give of their time and energy for a cause. And throughout history, we have seen many people even give their very lives for a cause. But how committed would you be to a cause if I explained that the particular cause was entirely hopeless, 
empty and promised to end in certain failure. What if I told you this cause was doomed from the very get-go? The logical answer would be to not be committed to that cause. But sin is not logical. And every day, people are making personal choices to give their life to a cause that leads to brokenness, despair, and pain. Many give their lives to a cause which has no achievable goal but only eternal consequences. This particular cause is self, and its aim is satisfaction. Many live today only thinking about themselves. Many devote every waking moment of the day searching to get what they want. This cause hides itself in expressions like, well, I don't want to. I don't feel like it. I want that. This is the very cause that Jesus is speaking of in Luke, the ninth chapter and the 25th verse, where he says, for what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? Jesus is fully aware that we will chase after causes that have no hope and no end, and we would actually give up our souls to pursue these causes. And Jesus is reminding them that what does it profit you to go all out, to be all in for this cause, this cause that only is there to satisfy yourself, when my cause is to establish a kingdom and I will rule and reign for eternity. Now, what's your cause compared to mine? Jesus is trying to help his listeners understand that there is a kingdom and a purpose that is bigger than you, that is bigger than me, and that God is on mission and he will accomplish it. And if our mission, if our purposes do not line up with the cause of Christ, then everything we are chasing is doomed to fail. It's what you call a lost cause. You're wasting your energy. Living to satisfy you is a lost cause. This is what I want to watch. This is where I want to go. This is what I want to eat. This is what I want to do. Living for you does not have a happy ending. Only eternal judgment. And we see here throughout the book of Judges what happens to a people when everybody starts doing what they want to. In the book of Judges, the people who were so near and dear to God's heart, they were in covenant fellowship. All all of a sudden, they become rebels in the very land that God had set out for them. They are turning their devotion and they are pursuing a cause that is not in line with God's kingdom mission and what he wanted to do with the people in Israel through the land. Instead of making the name of Yahweh known, they have forgotten his name entirely. After all the struggle, after all the years, after all the battles, after all the wars, after all this time, In one generation, all is lost. 
because they want to do what they want to do. What we see in this text this morning is that a life without the fear of God is a lost cause. Israel has forsaken their purpose, and what we see in this text is a warning for us. It's a warning to remind us that you must pursue wholehearted devotion to the Lord in order to further the cause of Christ within your life and the lives of others. Some context here. At the end of Joshua's life, he makes his declaration, uh, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, and the people uh, go into covenant with God like, yes, we will be the people of God. But in one generation, we see the text now says that there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. How long is a generation? Well, in in modern times, the generation will probably be around 25, 30 years now, from the birth of the parent to the birth of a child. That's a generation. So in modern times, as, as, as we have selfishly pushed off marriage longer, it, it, we've done it selfishly. We want to have more fun, do our own thing. We want to be financially stable. When are you really, really financially stable? Like, we're not. <laughs> However, in ancient Near Eastern times, it would have been smaller, maybe 15, 20 years. So within a time span of 20 years from the end of Joshua's death, a generation rises up that does not know God or the works? How how does that happen? A a generation, one generation removed from the the Jericho generation, one generation removed from the, the, the Jordan crossing generation, one generation removed from AI, one, one generation who, who conquered the southern land, one generation that conquered the northern land, one generation that saw God simply shaked the walls of a fortified city and they came tumbling down. One generation. And they have no idea what's going on. How could this happen? From the time of Abraham to now, God's people has all, have always been pretty much faithful to him. Since God revealed himself to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the tribes of Israel, Jacob's sons, Moses, Joshua, all of this time they've been faithful, but now, all of a sudden, they are not faithful. Beloved, looking at this text, notice that ignorance of God disrupts devotion. Ignorance of God disrupts devotion. And in verse 10, we see that as they, as they arose, they did not know the Lord or the work that he had done. They were not familiar with God. How does this happen? All of the religious traditions that were set up should have prevented this. Think about it. There was the sacrifices, the the daily sacrifices, the yearly sacrifice. There were the festivals to remember their journey through the wilderness. There were the the priests who were to live amongst the people in the cities and teach the word. There was the Shema. You shall love the Lord with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength. Deuteronomy 6, 
It's telling them that you should teach your children as you stand up and as you sit down and you're coming and you're going. This should not have happened because everything was in place to preserve their faith. How does this happen? God had, had, had formed a culture conducive to clarity. He had given them everything that they would need in order to know who God was and the works that he had did. Remember the stones, the 12 stones? After they crossed the Jordan, stones were erected. And why were the stones there? That when your children ask about these stones, you can tell them about what God has done. What has happened? I believe that we can look and see a few different things. We can make the mistake of simply saying that Israel had become comfortable. Because truly, when we, be, when we become comfortable, guess what? We become complacent. Like, like when you're on your knuckles, like eating sardines and ramen noodles, you're like, oh, Lord. I mean, you're you doing your devotions, you're doing your quiet time. You're like, Lord, deliver me. Lord, help me. Lord, I'm with you. Uh, if you're for me, no one can be against me. I, I mean, you, you, you quote the scripture, I'm more than the conqueror in Christ Jesus. But as soon as that fat job comes, and they're going to pay you good, we have a tendency to forget all the prayers that came before the job. And, and the same God we were praying to get the job, we've forgotten about. So when we get comfortable, we get complacent. And that, that's just part of our human nature. That's that sin nature that's in us that wants to hinder us chasing after God. But yet, I don't think that was all it. But when I look at the text, I can make a lot of presumptions, but the one thing that I do see is in verses 1 through 3, chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Now the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bacham. And he said, I brought you up from Egypt, and I brought you into the land that I swore to give to your fathers. I said, I would never break my covenant with you, and you shall make no covenants with the inhabitants of the land. You shall break down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. What is this you have done? So now I say, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare to you. As Israel enters into the land and begins to claim their inheritance, they claim their inheritance up to a point. They stop taking the land, and they begin to leave the Canaanites, the Jebusites, the Hivites. They, they, they kind of leave them in the land, and they don't completely conquer them, even though God said, conquer the entire land. So what I believe is taking place is that because Israel had failed to complete their conquest, Israel had failed to fully obey God. And don't you know, disobedience in one area in your life has a habit of shifting and migrating into other areas of your life. You being disobedient in this area that you know God has called you to and you are rebelling and rejecting God's word, though you may be faithful in this area, it has a tendency to kind of creep over in your life. So yeah, you may have perfect church attendance, 
But you, you know where they got you on the VIP list, too. And your lips and your lives are not adding up. Israel, though they were told by God to train up their children in the ways of the Lord, I believe that a little bit of disobedience in that area began to creep over into their life, and it began to affect everything. It began to affect everything. It's like, it's like having a bad back or having a pinched nerve. Like, you, like your nerve is way up here, like way up here, but it's messing with your toes way down here. Like, you're like, ah, ah, you know what I mean? You just hurt all over from something way up here. See, beloved, that's how sin works. You think you got a hold of sin because your leg's okay, but sin will take over because it starts up here. And it will begin to creep over your life. What sin are you, for, are you allowing to creep over your life? What sin are, are, are you allowing to live in the land that you, that you have not conquered? What sin is laying around? So I believe that because they were complacent, they allowed disobedience to to move, that all of a sudden, an entire generation misses out in knowing who God is. Beloved, biblical fidelity is not inheritance. It doesn't come through your bloodstream, your DNA. See, because you love Jesus doesn't mean your children are going to love Jesus. Because you've been faithful doesn't mean your family is going to be faithful. So God had put in a, in a system that they would lead by example, but they would take up the charge and in instructing the hearts of their children. I believe that Israel stopped being intentional and just started to live by religious tradition. They just kept going to the temple. They kept doing sacrifices. But all of a sudden, those things didn't mean anything. It was just something that they did. Because as soon as they got home, the Israelites, they, they acted the same. Nothing changed. But yet they were still doing all these religious things. And I can see it easy for a child to look up at their parents and see, because we, children learn by example, and they see their parents doing all this religious stuff, but it's really not taking effect in their lives. They still talk the same way. They still act the same way. They still discipline the same way. Like, there's no transformation going on. So they say, well, if that's your God, then I don't want them. Because the gods of this land look like they're doing something for the people. Lead by example. Psalm 78, turn with me to Psalm 78. Ignorance was to be squashed out in the home. Psalm 78, verses 1 through 8. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. Now watch. We will not hide them from their children, 
But tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their to teach to their children. That what the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn and arise and tell them their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. We must take upon ourselves the intentional instruction of the hearts of our families and children. And if that's not taking place in a family down the street, guess who steps up? The body of Christ. We do it together. So we notice that ignorance of God disrupts their devotion because they don't know who God is, because they don't know his works. It leads right into verse 11, and it says, because they didn't know, and the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. If you don't know that God is a good God, if you don't know that God is faithful, then you're going to live for yourself, and you're going to live for a lost cause. It's a lost cause. So not only does Ignorance of God disrupt devotion, but we see in the text that rebellion against God destroys devotion. Verse 11 and 12, and the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals, and they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. Remember, in the land, as the Israelites are coming through, the Canaanites, they have their own set of gods that they're worshiping. So they see this worship of false gods going on, worship to Baal. Baal was the storm god, the rain god. So they, the Canaanites will look to Baal in order to bless their crops. This is an ag- agricultural region. Give us rain, Baal. Give us, give us the, the, the type of weather we need in order that we may have food and provide for us. Later on in the text, it mentions the Ashtaroth. This is the Canaanite goddess of love and fertility, having children. So these gods were sought in order to receive agricultural and fertility blessings. Israel's inability to pass forward their faith leads to evil. This ignorance leads to rebellion. There's a lack of law. In the New Testament, the text tells us that the law was given as a schoolmaster to lead us to Christ. If there's no understanding of what you're supposed to do, then how do you know you're failing to do what you need to do? They didn't know God. There was a lack of leadership. Joshua had died. The elders had died. No one was standing up for God. With that void, now we see Israel pursuing the gods of this land. Without the knowledge of God, they choose to worship what they see. Because they don't see God anymore, they perhaps think, well, I I see them worshiping Baal, and they got all the fresh cars. Look at their houses. Man, look at their jobs. Man, look at their clothes. They got the new Jordans on. What is going on? And they're looking, and they're saying, well, what God do you serve? Because I want that stuff too. 
And, and, and then, well, we serve Baal. You should too. And as easy as that, well, Baal going to give me stuff, so I want to serve Baal. Beloved, we don't serve God because he gives us stuff. We serve God because he's glorious. We don't serve God because he's a genie in a bottle. We serve God because he's worthy of our worship, because he has delivered and he will deliver. But Israel got caught up in stuff. They began looking over the fence. They saying uh, they got some nice yards over there. They got some nice cars over there. We should be like them. May not be. Because what takes place is Israel turns away from God. In biblical terms, what's taking place is apostasy. Apostasy is when someone turns away from the truth. They turn away from God. This, this is the apostasy in, in 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter and the 10th verse towards the end. Paul is going through everybody he's been hanging with. And then he says in, in verse 10, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. That's apostasy. When your love of this world carries you away from God, you are an apostate. When you're more concerned about your dough than your devotion, then this world is leading you away from God. You, you will fall into apostasy. We have to be careful because instead of statues, we often run to the God of money. Money dictates our lives. Money tells me what time to get up. It tells me what time to go home. It tells me if I got time for you or if I don't have time for you. Money dictates if I'm happy. Money dictates if I'm sad. Money dictates what I will and what I won't wear. Money dictates what's on my table. Money dictates if I will eat leftovers or not. Money will dictate my entire life if I let it. We run after the God of comfort. We don't like anything difficult. If it's too hot outside, I ain't going out there. If it's too cold, I'm staying in. If, if, if there's any type of uh, hard work to be done, I'm not doing it. Yeah, I have a 10-page paper. I'm just going to do five. Well, I know I'm supposed to work eight. I'm going to try to work six. If there's any type of difficulty, we like, I don't want it. I'd rather be comfortable. We often worship and run to the God of pleasure. Unless I'm stimulated. Lord knows that if it's boring, I ain't going to do it. This is boring. I don't want to read my Bible. This is boring. I don't want to sit down and listen. Because I'm running to the God of pleasure. Fulfill me. Make me feel satisfied. Make me feel good. The God of pleasure also rises his head in, in the pervasive sexual immorality of our day. Sex has become so pervasive in our culture. I won't stand arrogantly and look back on past cultures and say, no, this is the worst it ever been. I can't say that, but I can say now that it's pretty bad. With the internet and smartphones, Sexual immorality is 
tearing up our families. We're not talking about this guy. You know, it's reported that over 70% of African-American children are born out of wedlock now. And I say that not in a condemning way, but I say that in a way, we should be broken over this. We already start 100 yards back, now you break up the home, now we're 300 yards back. This is us. This should be gut-wrenching. We should be weeping. We should be burdened. We should be broke. 70% of children don't get a chance for a father to teach them how to live? 70% has to have a mom who's superwoman in order just to provide? 70? Then you telling me only 30% really got it made? Sin? Sexual sin is killing us? This is a glaring, this is a glaring indication of our disobedience to God. We, we can't overlook it. We, we can't just not talk about it and say mom's the word. But we, we have to depend on one another now. Because guess what? Because that 70% is here and, and, and fours is here and we're going to be here. And we're going to serve families and we're going to serve mothers and we're going to do what God has called us to do. But we have to stand on God's word as we're raising our families And we can't allow our pet sins to become the burdens of our children. Just as Israel chose to coexist with the gods of the land, we are choosing to coexist with the gods of this nation. We must push away. We must push away. We can't tolerate this. We do not want to fall into apostasy because those same broken families are more likely to have children who would turn away from God than turn towards him. We must be like firemen running into the fire, rescuing those who are marginalized and lost. That means, that means that babies, kids, and them will be running around this church tearing up stuff, but at least we know where they are. And we have to care more about children's hearts than broken chairs. And I'm not saying we do, but that's what it's going to be like. It's, it's, it's hand-to-hand combat. It's warfare. It's, it's frontline battles where I see your child acting a fool. I'm going to say something too. I'm not going to turn and say I didn't see that. We have to be intentional in getting into one another's lives in order that God may rescue us. Because he wants to and he will. Grace. He will give it. 
These are the false religions of the day. Don't fall into them. Thirdly, in the text, beginning in verse 14, we see punishment from God develops devotion. What, is, what does that even mean? Verse 14 says, So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them, and he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm, as the Lord had warned, and as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were in terrible distress. Distress. Israel, because they broke their covenant with God, God is now punishing them. This punishment is a, con- is a consequence from breaking faith, from turning from God. He told them that if you broke this covenant and if you served the gods of this land, I would not be for you. I will actually be against you. And notice in the text, this is, this is crazy because it says that God, he sold them into the hand of their, their surrounding enemies. What, what is the writer doing? He sold them. Don't you know what redemption means? Redemption means I bought you back. I rescued you out of. So he's telling the nation that he bought back, that he rescued, that because you were being disobedient, I'm not going to keep buying you back. I'm just going to sell you off. I'm not going to have anything else to do with you. And and not only will I not have anything to do with you, I'm going to put my hand against you. Didn't you see how my hand was against the people in the land who came up against you? Didn't you see how I I went to war on your behalf? Didn't you see my power? That same power, that same harm is now coming for you. But why is God doing this? God is using discomfort and distress to wake them up. God uses discomfort and distress to wake us up. But we miss it. And we miss it because we like comfort so much that when discomfort comes, we run from it. So God can't teach us nothing. Because we only want to be comfortable. Like kryptonite is to Superman, so is comfort to holiness. And many of you are in uncomfortable situations. Not solely because God is trying to tell you something, but we are in, we are in uncomfortable situations that God may get glory from our lives. He wants to do something in your life, my life. And we have to sit under this discomfort. We want God to keep his end of the covenant, even while we don't. What what do we do? Three quick things, what we need to do. The first thing, we, we must be broken. You must be broken. Back in verses 1 through 3, we see it in, in verse 3. No, actually, we see in verse 4. As soon as the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the people of Israel, the people lifted up their voices and wept. When they heard how they had broke faith with God and that the Canaanite gods will now be a snare. They knew that meant difficulty. They knew that, had, that their actions had consequences. And what happened? They, they wept. 
They were broken. Just as Israel is broken and weak, we must weep. Sin should grieve us. Sin should break our hearts. But not only should we be broken, we must instruct. We must instruct. See, we often look at Proverbs, the 22nd chapter and the 6th verse. We often look at this. That's where it says, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, we, in Vacation Bible School, we learn that the Proverbs, this is not 100% guaranteed. These are uh, life principles that, if generally applied, they, they pan out. So if you train up a child in the way that he should go, then they will not depart. But then taking that and allowing the New Testament to fill that out, we look at Ephesians, the sixth chapter. So what does this training look like? Ephesians, the sixth chapter, and the fourth verse, it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So discipline and instruction, train, discipline, instruction, and, and, and watch over in 2 Timothy, where Paul is talking to Timothy, and he says in the third chapter, in the 10th verse, you, however, have followed my teaching, He's talking to a young Timothy. My aim in life, my faith, wait, let me back up. My aim in life, Paul is reminding him that we have a cause too. My faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and suffering that happened to me in Antioch, in Iconium, in Alistra, which persecutions I endured yet from them. All the Lord rescued me. And he goes on to say, indeed. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and apostles go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Watch this. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and 15, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. What is Paul going out? What is this verses about? They're saying that we are to train our children, not just by bringing them to church, but by intentionally feeding them and teaching them the word of God at home. Two hours a week is nothing compared to the time you have with your children on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. I can't undo a week's worth of sin with one hour in the youth room. So this training means there there is to be intentional instruction. You don't have to be a theologian to teach your child just to pray. You don't have to be a theologian to teach your child, John 3.16. You don't have to be a theologian to teach your child that God has been faithful to you and your family. And that you're grateful. So what do we do? We must be broken. We must instruct. But then lastly, we pray. We pray. 
we must pray that God would buy us back. We must pray that God would reconcile us. We must pray that by God's grace, he would make us holy. We must pray. But all is not lost because we do serve a God who gives hope. And in verse 16, we see a glimmer of hope. Verse 16 says, Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. God raised up judges. The judges would become God's agents of deliverance. The judges would become the very leaders who would rescue the people from their oppression. The, the judges would be the people who would, who would lift the name of, of Jesus, go out in battle, and win the war. But as we see the, in judges, the quality of the judges goes down one after another. But it's something about these judges that should stand out to us. The fact that these judges were warriors, and they went out and they conquered all those who came up against God's people. We have to notice that those judges, they were not perfect, but they were the very ones the people were to look to. And though they weren't permanent, they did put their mark on the land. These judges were the salvation of Israel in times of despair. Beloved, these Israel, this these judges in Israel are a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ because Jesus is our ultimate conqueror. He's our warrior who goes to battle on our behalf, conquering death and sin and defeating Satan and declaring that we are victorious in Christ Jesus. And though the judges were not perfect, Jesus is. He is the perfect judge. He was sinless from his birth, and no sin in thought or deed. He lived a sinless life in order to be our sinless sacrifice. And Jesus, he is permanent. Though he died on the cross, he rose three days later. So there is no time where he is dead, where the people can fall off, because he rules and reigns right now in glory. Jesus is our perfect judge, and now we must look to him in order to rescue us because God has raised them up. Because the text says, if I be lifted up on the cross, that all men will be drawn unto me. Jesus has been lifted up. He has been raised up. And because Jesus is living now, we have hope. Though it looks like all is lost, God has a way of raising up the folks he needs right on time. Just when things looked lost in Noah's day, he raised up Noah. Just as it looked lost when Abraham's entire family were pagans worshiping, he brought forth Abraham. And just as it looked lost when he was taking Isaac up to be sacrificed, he brought a ram in the bush. Just as Moses thought all hope was lost. God shows up to him in a burning bush. Just as Israel thought all is lost, as they stood before Goliath, God raises up David. Just as Israel thought it was all over, 
when Barak decided to kill the Jews, God raises up Esther. Just when Naomi thought her lineage would die, God raised up Boaz. Just when you think that all is lost, God has a way of raising up somebody just in the nick of time. And God has already raised up Jesus. But in our time, in our day, God wants to raise up someone here in your house, in your family, to be the beacon that God wants them to be in order that we will not lose another generation. This is what God wants to do with us. Will we turn away or will we turn to him? Things may be bad, but all is not lost because we do not serve a lost cause. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for what you have showed us through this journey through the book of Joshua. And Father, may we please be used by you to rise up and to rescue a lost and dying generation that's living in a lost and dying world. Father, may you please use us for your purposes, for your glory, and for your name's sake. Father, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.